ask us to shy away from that core conviction because it lies at the very center of our faith. And we invite you to check it out for yourself. At our church, we're not just going to leave the story there. We're not going to place it on a dusty doctrinal bookshelf in some church basement. At our church, we're going to learn to live today in full response to the empty tomb. And make no mistake about it, there is abundant life to be had right now for every person in this room. And it's all because 2,000 years ago, God took on human flesh. He lived and he died and then he lived again. And today, we are celebrating that event and the life it offers us. It's Easter. He is risen. Welcome to our church. Good morning! Happy Easter! Woo! The tomb is empty, and there is good news to tell, and we are going to tell it. So glad you're here. Uh, these guys are going off to Children's Church. If you are between the ages of three and fifth grade, they got a beautiful thing planned for you, a great celebration. Go with them. We do card. So if you're too old, you're just trying to get out of the message. It will not work. So glad you're here. So glad you're here. Good to see so many of you. So let me ask the question. Did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? Well, I, I just, it's the last time I saw a lot of you guys, and I just thought we'd pick up from where we left off. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm just glad you're here. I'm just glad you're here. Oh, you're so welcome. You are so welcome. Oh, oh, it's good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them to John chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending most of our time. We'll get there soon. If you don't have one, look under the uh, seat in front of you on that rack. Uh, we have some New Testaments that are spread out there. If you'd like to take that and use it and keep it for yourself, it's our free gift. If you're on the front row and you need one, there's no seats in front of you. Just raise your hand. Uh, Tim's got a few, and same goes for them. If you want them, please keep them. Easter, first of all, before we get into that, I want to tell you, we have been in a wonderful study of the book of Acts. It's called Acts to be Continued. And we're going verse by verse through the whole book, and we're exciting. We're excited. There's a lot of blessing there. We're taking a time out from our walk through Acts to do a three-week life-changing series of which this is the first message. It's called, the, the series is called Lifeline. And the message today is Choose Life. So we invite you to stay with us for three weeks. If church is not your thing, just give it a shot. This is a bite. You'll get to know what following Jesus in a radical way is about, why we get so excited about it, and, and our call to help each other uh, get finished and, and grow up in the faith. None of us are perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And so there's a lot of grace here, and we have, uh, we have a calling to reach this community and this college with the love and forgiveness and grace and the message of life of Jesus Christ. So we invite you to take a bite, come with us, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or you're just trying to impress your mom or please your girlfriend. I don't care. Just come with us. Uh, you've got a place here. You'll be blessed. Easter. Is all about life. It is all about the resurrection life of Jesus. So I am excited to unveil for you my traditional Easter shirt. This shirt just screams life, doesn't it? I mean, check out, check out the cuffs, huh? This, this clashes with everything I've ever seen. And I only get to wear it once a year because my wife, Sheree, and my daughter, Quincy, they hide it from me like the rest of the year. But it's here and it talks about life. And the reason is, we, you say, how was that shirt about life? I wouldn't be caught dead in it. Well, I want, and I believe Jesus wants your inside, your heart, to be doing what this shirt is doing on the outside which is just pointing to Him in all its color, in all of its glory, in all of His wonderfulness, and saying He is all that. He is all that. He is good. He is good. So we're glad you're here. Life, life is why Jesus came. Life is why Jesus came. He told us as much. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said to us this, 
He says to us, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. It raises some questions. Who is they? They is us. They is you. They is me. We is they. You get it? Okay. So he's speaking to us. He has come that you and I, and I need your help here, might have what? Might have what? Don't leave me hanging. Might have life and have it how much? Just going through, just, just, just trying to get through tomorrow, just trying to get through our, our challenges and, and our grief and, and our burdens. No. How do he want us to give us life to the full? Right. And the question is, are we living the resurrection life of Jesus? Is it inside us touching every part, enlivening every part? Is it overwhelming us? Is it overflowing us? Is it cascading off of us to touch every person we come in contact with? Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full without limits, without, without question, without, without burden. He asks us to come to Him and receive life. And I think as we talk about resurrection life, as we talk about eternal life, here's where the church, I think, has really fallen down, has really made a mistake. Because we don't often, clearly enough, communicate to people the great news that eternal life doesn't start when you take your last breath here on earth. Eternal life has as much to do with right here and right now as as what happens after we die. So when we talk about resurrection life, we're talking as much about where we spend eternity and how we spend eternity as how we live life in the resurrection life of Jesus right here and right now. How it transforms our hearts, our attitudes, our relationships, our marriage, our friendships, everything that we do, our work, our finances, everything. Everything. And it's about the here. It's about the now. This morning, I I want us to answer one question. Are we experiencing to the fullest extent the resurrection life of Jesus Christ? As we do so, I'd like to ask you to open your mind, open yourself up to two realities, okay? One is that Jesus physically rose from the grave three days after He was crucified in our place for our sins on the cross. He died and He rose again on the third day. Open yourself to that reality. And number two, that the miracle of the resurrection in all its power, in all its glory, in all its wonder, in all its miracle, that God wants to do that again this morning in you and that he will. If you open yourselves up to that, we're going to have an incredible morning. And I believe that each one of us, whether we realize it or not, each one of us, God has placed within us a hunger for, a starving for that resurrection life, whether we realize it or not. But here in Gunnison, I think we, I, I think I know that, that, that we, we definitely have a commitment to a higher quality of life. Right? That might be what drew you here to live or, or what drew you here to study at Western or what causes you to come visit the quality of life that we want to stop, as the world says, and smell the roses, that we see the mountains and we see all that God created and the rivers and Blue Mesa and whatever you got. And, and, and we enjoy that. And it gives us a taste, a taste of true life. Now, some of you take it to, to ridiculous extremes. You're like adrenaline junkies. And I love you, uh, but but you you do all this. You 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 ski or you ride over at Crested Butte, and you, and you go down the headwall and the banana peel and the terrain park and the super pipe. I all I know them all too well. I do. <laughs> Got to tell you, I'm more of a Bubba shortcut guy. Yeah, done some pretty remarkable freestyle moves on that on that trail. They're still telling stories about me up there. May have heard them. But that's what you do. Whatever gives you a taste of life, that's what you do. You climb these sheer rock faces. There are squirrels falling off to their death because they can't grip on. That's what you're doing, though. You're grabbing on. You get in a kayak. You go down the river and you look. You look for where the water is doing this. The only places other than on the river where I've seen water do this is in my blender and in my toilet. That should tell you something. 
But you do these things to capture, to taste life, to chase it for just a moment to feel the exhilaration of life. Some of us go beyond that, right? We want to prolong our life. We want to, we want to push away any signs of aging. You ladies, please, bear with me on this. Do you not? I have stayed up to the wee hours. I watch the infomercials. I know. You buy that stuff, right? The paste and the goo. It's supposed to erase your crow's feet and your smile lines. And it's organic overnight. Like placenta, grease, something. A hundred bucks an ounce. Right? How's that working out for you? Yeah. Yeah, and that Botox, huh? That's fun. You could freeze the polar ice caps again with all the Botox that's going on. And then, and then you got plastic surgery. Nip, tuck, lift, separate, whatever you got to do. Right? To keep us from looking like we're, we're, we're going ahead toward death. And, and it reminds me because I've been watching, you know, as I change the channels to go through more edifying uh, material. Uh, Celebrity Apprentice, have you, have you seen that? Have you seen Joan Rivers? <laughs> I love Joan Rivers. But that's frightening. She's like really like a 118 years old. I think she's had some work done. What do you think? Maybe it's maybe more than Michael Jackson. She once said, I wish I had a twin so I would know what I look like without plastic surgery. So she's pushing this off. She's pushing this off. And many of us are. We want to cling to life. We want to prolong life. Those of you who are baseball fans will know Ted Williams, one of the best hitters of all time. He was a big star in the 40s and 50s. Uh, Played at Boston, I believe. But he wanted to spend more time with his family, with his kids. So he goes and he puts in his will that after, after he dies, and he died in 2002 at the age of 83 of a heart attack, they packed him up. And they flew him to Arizona. I am not making this up. I want you to know that. I am not making this up. i got to get the name of the place. The Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Arizona to be cryogenically frozen until they find a cure for his heart disease. And then they'll thaw him out and whatever that is. And, and they'll do that to his kids, he hopes. And, and he'll have more time to spend with them. It raises a couple of questions. First of all, If you want to freeze people, why do you send them to Arizona? That's blazing hot. Arizona, God bless you if you're, that's a commercial for hell. If you want to freeze people, do it in Gunnison. We're built for that. I don't know if God is calling you to like a business opportunity. You might just, but deeper question that that raises is why? Why do we so want to extend our life and push away death? I don't think it's bad. I don't think that impulse is bad. I think the ways that we do it, that we just talked about, are a little whacked. But I don't think the impulse is bad. I would suggest that maybe Jesus places that in us. He says, I came that you might have that life that you crave, that life that you look for, that life that you chase and try to taste, and that you would have it to the full. I don't believe those things are bad necessarily, except for the cryogenics. That's just just weird. But as long as they don't become primary, as long as we don't think that they can deliver life, Because despite all that we do to find life, the Bible tells us that there is one huge obstacle to that. One huge obstacle to that. Not surprisingly, it's death. It's, It's death. And not just at the end of our lives when we take our last breath here on earth. It's a deadness that comes over us and that comes into our life that we, our life is, is rushing toward death. And every day and every month and every year we get closer and death takes a grip on us, not just physically, but in our hearts. And we begin to die to the life-giving things that, that Jesus, in truth and in power, wants to breathe into us and put his resurrected life in us so that we could live life to the full, not just in eternity, but the eternity that is now. 
that is now, and that we could be transformed. Colossians 2.13 says this, that our natural condition was deadness when we were dead in our sins. So here's death. Here's death, even as our hearts are beating, even as our lungs are filling with air. Jesus is looking at the heart. He says, when you were dead in your sins, God made us alive. That's the resurrection life with Christ. And how does he do it? Through forgiving our sins. Why? Why? Because sin, all the mistakes, all the rebellion, all of the things that that we do that are apart from God's will bring death. And Romans 6.23 says this. The wages or the payout for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what we celebrate. Our natural condition of our hearts, of our souls is death because of sin. But the but the gift of God is the gift of eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to to, to get it for yourself. You just receive it. You receive it by faith. And because he rose again, his resurrection life can be in you. That's what we that's we celebrate. What does that death look like? What does that death look like in our lives? Maybe your love has died or is dying for a spouse. Maybe it's not what it was. Maybe your love is dying in a friendship. Maybe your love is dying in your faith. Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe your hope is dying. Maybe you had hopes of how your life would turn out, what God had placed you for. And you've had obstacles and changes in direction and challenges. And maybe it's economics and maybe it's the way the life is played out. But your hope has died. And you no longer look to tomorrow with the, with the zeal and the enthusiasm that you once did. The hope that it once did. Maybe your hope has died. Maybe your joy has died. Maybe you've suffered loss. Maybe life has just beat you up. Maybe it's your own doing. Maybe somebody did this to you. Maybe you have no idea. But something happened, and your life is not pulsating with the joy anymore. And there's a deadness there. Maybe your vision for the future has died. Maybe your compassion has died. Just don't care. Just don't care anymore. Jesus wants to breathe and enter in his resurrected life into all of our lives and take them to levels that we are not even smart enough to ask for. That's the promise of Easter. That's the hope of Easter. And we don't want to make it a pie in the sky, one day when we die kind of thing only. It is that, but it's so much more. It is transforming the way we do life now. And it's His life. It's His life. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've asked Him into my heart. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I walked an aisle. I signed a card. I raised a hand. There's no death in me. It's all Jesus. Revelation 3.1 says, People... In the church, churches can die. Church people can die. Jesus is dictating this through the Apostle John. It's a letter to the church in Sardis. Revelation 3.1, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of Jesus Christ. These are the words of Him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. All the good, all the bad. I see. I know your heart. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. There's a deadness that can come upon the people of God, the churches of God. When we cease to have His resurrection life coursing through us, you've sat through services where there's a deadness that comes over the people and we we don't praise as if the God of the universe is waiting and, and, and desiring our worship We pray with tired hearts and minds that are distracted. We follow Him. We follow Him part-time. We live the double life, right? Part of the life that the world calls us to live and part of the life that Jesus calls us to live, depending upon where we are and who we're with. And we die. And we die. And the call of Easter is the call of God to His people to identify those parts where sin has crept in and deadness has crept in and invite afresh and anew the resurrected Jesus to enter in deeper 
and to bring life where there was death so that we can experience this and it would spill out all over the place. Because our job here at this church is to make sure that everybody at the college, every last person, every last person in this town, everybody, every last person in Pitkin, in Parland, in Ohio City, in Crested Butte South, in Almond, in Crested Butte, in Mount Crested Butte, hears that Jesus loves them, that He desires to forgive them, that He has life, a resurrected life for them, both now and for all eternity. And He needs an alive church and alive people who are following Him to allow us to do that. Okay, I've ranted enough on that. That wasn't even in the, in the notes. You got, that, you got that one for free. Okay? <laughs> Jesus, rather than the life that is heading progressively toward death, in which it just gets swallowed up in death and more death physically and spiritually until we're engulfed in death on our last day and put in a place where death reigns, which the Bible calls hell. Instead of that, Jesus offers us for free His resurrected life, a life that leads every day and every moment, every month and every year progressively toward more life and more life until life is just spilling out of us. Even as our bodies break down, as our breaths become shallow, we're growing in life until we're swallowed up with life, His life, and we we experience the ultimate life with Him. In heaven. That's what he offers us. That's what Easter's about. That's why I'm so excited. Turn to John chapter 11. As I said, we're going to spend our time there. Um, how are we doing? Oh, oh. <clears throat> okay. When I let you go, you, you'll, yeah, you'll be blessed. Not because of me, because of God. We're going to spend some time. We, uh, it's a long passage, so rather than read it to you uh, and then unpack it, I'm going to unpack it as we go, okay? Uh, John 11, 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany. Okay, uh, just a little affirmation that you're in the right place this morning. Okay, he was from Bethany. It doesn't say he was from New Song. It doesn't say he was from Community. It doesn't say he was from Trinity. He was from Bethany. I'm just kidding. I love, I love those people. I love those pastors. They just don't send the email that I have to delete. I, I just, I'm just kidding. God bless them. It was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, very close friend, is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son, Jesus, might be glorified through it. Some of you have received a prognosis that is about your health, that is about your finances, that is about your future, that is about your relationships. It says it is on the course to death. You need to know That until you get Jesus' prognosis of life, nothing is settled. You go to him for the prognosis. He decides. And here he says, this sickness will not end in death. I urge you this morning to take whatever it is that you've got this prognosis for, this outlook for, and it's dark and it's full of death. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. He is the author of life. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Why put this there? Why put this there? I believe it's so that we would know that Jesus loves you, that he loves you as much as he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loves you right here this morning, not some future version of you that he wants to make you into. You right here, right now, in the condition that you're in. He loves you. Not only that, he wants to do in you and through you and for you, just what he's about to do for Lazarus. He loves you. Verse 6. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. He stayed where he was two more days. The situation is urgent. And Jesus stays back two more days. And some of you know what this feels like. You have been praying for a breakthrough. You have been praying for change in circumstances for a change in your heart, for a change in your marriage, for a change in someone else's heart, and you feel like Jesus is late. Jesus is right on 
time. Wait. He has heard you. He has heard you. And he is coming. Verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. That's where Bethany is. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, don't you remember? The Jews tried to stone you when you were there. And yet, you're going back there? They're trying to coach Jesus, you know. Let's see, Jesus. The last time we visited, they picked up rocks. They were going to kill you. You remember? Good times, right? No. Let's not go there. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night without, without light that he stumbles, for he has no light. Verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, and the disciples missed this. They missed this entirely. They're still thinking, we ought not go. We ought not go. So he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Lazarus was dying. Lazarus was dead. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. And we need to hear this. We desperately need to hear this because God's people and God's church and those who are far from God need to be woken up. We need to say, Lord, we've been asleep. We've been dead. We want to be woken up. We want to be brought back to life in the way that you call us, the way that you've provided for us. We don't want to go through life living a double life. We want all the fullness of your resurrected life in us. We need to be woken up. And someone once said, we teach our children to pray wrong. When we teach them to say, Lord, if I should die before I wake. This person said we'd be better off to teach our children to pray, Lord, may I wake before I die. Amen. Let us wake up. Let us wake up to the reality of who Jesus is and who He wants to be, who He yearns to be, who He offers to be in all His fullness of the resurrection in our lives. Oh, it's good. It's good. Verse 12, His disciples replied, Lord, if He's sleeping, He'll get better. They're like Quincy. Sleep is good. More sleep is better. Don't wake them up. He'll be happier. No. They're not getting it. Jesus had been speaking, verse 13 says, of Lazarus' death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Okay, back in the day, back in the day, the followers of Jesus Christ were not necessarily the sharpest crayons in the box. Thankfully, all that has changed. <laughs> I think. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also so that we can die with him. Uh, he's not making the right choice, but we'll go. If he's going to die, I don't want him to die alone. I just want to go on record that of all the disciples who were there, there is one. There is one who manned up, who said, bring on the rocks. Maybe he'll throw them at our head and we'll pass out and we won't feel the rest of it. I'm going with Jesus. That one was Thomas. I don't know what it means. We get a lot of bad rap for the doubter thing. We might as well celebrate when we can. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. We need to stop there. There is a lot here. Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. The one that he is going to raise to life was dead. I need to pause so I can yell at you about a few things here. Um, our life without Jesus Christ, as the Bible describes it, is in the tomb, is dead is dead. And so we chase life and we try to apprehend it and we try to wrestle it back to ourselves, doing all the things we talked about, experiencing these adrenaline rushes or pushing death away. And he says, we're living in a tomb. And what do we do? We decorate the tomb with lots of stuff, with lots of toys, because a lot of us are under the deception that more of the stuff that never brought us life in the past, more of it somehow will. 
Here's a little clue. If a little bit did not bring you life, ten times whatever it was, houses, cars, video games, big screens, trips, sex, whatever it is you're seeking, is not going to do it. Ben and Jerry's. If one pint doesn't do it, ten gallons not going to do it. I am working out this truth in my own life. And so we insulate ourselves. We keep the activity going so we don't feel the death coming over us. We need, we need to be stimulated at every moment of every day, whether it's music or video games or television or conversations or activity, because when we slow down and we get quiet and we're alone and we're in our beds, we know there's an abiding deadness that comes over us. If we're far from Jesus Christ, and even those of us who follow Jesus Christ have kept different pieces of Him, hidden from Him, pieces of our lives in the tomb. And we commit a subtle but awful sin. We forsake Jesus in having Him primary in our lives. We forsake Him for His stuff. The stuff that He has given us to point back to Him, to enjoy, to celebrate. But when we make it primary, when we make it first, Romans says we love the created things rather than the Creator. We worship the things He created that are supposed to point to Him rather than the Creator. And that is one of the most awful forms of idolatry that we can ever commit. And the most wretched part of it is that it's so subtle. It's so easy to do. Have we done that? Have we accessorized our life with the things that Jesus has meant to point us back to him and made them the ultimate, the primary? His resurrected life calls us to not do that. Life in the tomb. Versus life of the resurrected Jesus also implies this. God used my wife to teach me this. And I want to share it with you because there may be some of you who are here this morning for this truth. The world will tell you that when something is dead, you bury it. They did that to Lazarus. He was dead in the tomb four days. The world will tell you when something is dead, you bury it. That is not living in the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection says that when something is dead, you call Jesus into the midst of it to speak life into it, to bring his resurrected life to it and to raise it up to life again. What does this mean? Some of you are in a marriage that you think is dead or headed to death and you're ready to bury it. Don't you do it. Living in the reality of the resurrection means that even in all its deadness, even if it's been there four days, four months, four years, You call Jesus into the midst of it and invite his resurrected life to breathe life back into it again. Some of you have a friendship that has died and you're ready to bury it. Or you have. Don't do it. Living in the light of the resurrection means nothing is dead until Jesus says it is. And he longs to bring people and relationships back to life. The only thing that needs to die is our own life in death and our own life in sin. The world will tell you when something dies, bury it. The gospel tells us when something dies, let Jesus raise it up again. Whatever that is, I invite you this morning to bring it to him. And let him bring his resurrected life into it. Okay.
Verse 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them. And the loss of their brother, their friends, their family, they came to help them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Jesus walks right into the grief, the confusion, the the hurt that Martha's feeling. He walks right in. He walks right into yours. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, get this, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't just say, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am is a proclamation of who he is. He is the great I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not just saying, I have the power of resurrection. I have the power of life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And there is only resurrection. There is only life in me. And apart from me, there is no resurrection. There is no life. That's what he's saying. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. She, She told him, I believe that you are Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back back to the house, called her sister Mary aside. I believe what Martha thought Jesus gave her was what we give each other, you know. Here's a T-shirt, here's a coffee mug. It has this verse on it that says, even though your life is in the pits and you're struggling with death and, and all these things in your life, that, that one day in the sweet by and by, when we go to be with Jesus, it's all going to be okay. But what it doesn't say, but what it implies is that he has absolutely no interest and no power in entering into your situation and bringing life where there was only death right now. And the truth is that he does and he wants to and he will. And she goes and gets her sister. She says, the teacher is here. She said, he's asking for you. Verse 29, we're getting we're getting close. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but she ran. She was he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there for Lazarus. But when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She said the same thing her sister did. You think they got together the night before and decided what to tell Jesus? Oh, oh, you were supposed to say that? I thought I was supposed to say that. They said the same thing. Get this. You need not to miss this. This is the, this is the great compassion of our God. Verse, verse, uh, oh, verse 33. Here we are. When Jesus saw her weeping, he sees her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her. He saw them weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He says, where have you laid them, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Because he was human and he came and put on, took on flesh and blood so he would know the trials. He would know the heartbreak that you and I are going through. And he shares it. Some of you need to know this morning that when you go through your darkest hours, your most hopeless moments, the most daunting trial and, and hopeless situation you're ever in, that Jesus is not leaving you alone in your morning. He is coming alongside you and he weeps with you and he weeps for you. And he helps you mourn. And then he turns you. He turns you to the hope. Jesus wept. He wept because he loves. He wept because he loves Lazarus. He wept because he saw death. He saw that it breaks people's hearts. He, he saw what sin does in the world. Hatred, death, suffering, heartbreak, It wasn't part of his plan. 
It wasn't part of his plan when he created everything. He said it is good and very good. And then our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And then we joined the rebellion. And with sin, death entered the world and disease and suffering and heartbreak. And Jesus is saying, in my resurrection, in my plan, I am recreating all things new. And one day there will be no death. There will be no heartbreak. I will wipe away every tear. There will only be newness and fullness of life in me. And right now, I am beginning my recreation of all creation. And I want to start in you. I want to recreate you. I want to put that resurrection life in you. And I want you to share it with everybody else. So that we can all come together in brokenness and death to the foot of the cross, to the empty tomb, and receive the fullness of life. Then, 36, then the Jews said, look, see how he loved him, how he loved Lazarus. 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Such a big shot, this Jesus Makes blind guys see, can't raise them from the dead. Look, trash talking the Savior, probably not such a good idea. (laughs) Okay. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sound familiar? Sounds like Easter. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. I love the King James Version. Surely he stinketh. (laughs) There is a bad odor. He's decaying. I've got news for you. It doesn't matter how long this piece of you, this piece of your life, your heart, your relationship, your, your trial has been decaying. It ain't over till Jesus said it's over. And His resurrection, His life can breathe into the deadest dead. And take that which is decaying and make it beautiful. Verse 40, and then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe This is your promise this morning. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. You'll see it in your own heart. You'll see it in your own life. Watch what I'm going to do. Believe in me. 41. So they took away the stone as they would as Jesus' stone was rolled away by the angel. And then Jesus looked up and he prayed. Here's what he said. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing around here that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, come out of the tomb. And it's been said that if Jesus did not call him by name and say, Lazarus, come out, that all the graves of all the people would have opened up and everybody would have come back. But he said, Lazarus, come out, come out of the tomb. And the dead man rose and came out. And his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Just how they prepared people for burial. My friends, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is so important. This is the call of the church. This is the call of me to you and you to each other. That once we find new life in Christ, we come alongside each other and we begin to remove the grave clothes, the trappings of death that cling to us. We have to help each other. We have to cling to Jesus and cling to each other and gently and gradually unwrap the grave clothes and set each other free in the life that Jesus has called us to be. We're not done yet. Anybody who's done, who's as far as they're going to let Jesus take them, is in the wrong place. Because there are no perfect people here. But we serve a perfect God. And His perfect love living inside us, as we find new life in Him, calls us to band together and unwrap the grave clothes. Though it takes a year, though it takes ten years, though it takes a lifetime for us to be truly free. It's called progressive sanctification as God works in us to become more and more like him. And we play a role in helping, helping us to live in the freedom 
and cast away all the trappings of death. That's what we're to do for each other. That's what I invite you to be in this church. And this is God's promise. This is God's promise in Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. When Jesus walked out of the empty tomb on Easter morning, his invitation, his call to Lazarus to come out of the tomb and live again in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ became his call to each and every one of us, followers of Jesus Christ, for the deadness that has come upon different areas of your life, for those who are far from him, to taste and experience and see and live his resurrection life. Everything else is death. Everything else is death. But in him, everything is a crescendo of life that keeps going and going and going. And his call on Easter morning is come forth, come forth, not Lazarus, but you. For I have come that you might have life, not some cheap imitation of it, not some compromised version of it, but true, deep, overflowing, overwhelming life that only comes in me. That you would celebrate in your life in your family, in your friendships, in your job, Easter. You would celebrate Easter every moment of every day. Let's pray. Lord, for those of us who claim to follow you, we don't want to be satisfied with life the way we've always lived it. Partially living out your resurrected life. Lord, we confess that there are places where we've let the deadness creep in. Keeping you from experiencing, keeping us from experiencing the full and abundant resurrected life that you called us to. We want to die to that, Lord. Lord, we confess that too often we've taken the world's advice that when something is dead, you bury it. Lord, we bury too many things. Love, marriages, relationships, hope, faith, compassion. Lord, take everything that is dead and bring your resurrected life into it. We want to live in the reality of the resurrection as we never have before. So that it fills us, overwhelms us, and spills out of us to everyone we love, everyone we come in contact with. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to bring that, you want to bring that to him. That's your heart cry to live in the reality of the resurrection. I ask you with me to raise your hand to God. Raise it up. Amen. God bless you. Hands going up all over the place. If you want his resurrected life afresh and anew in all of its reality, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, many of you. Make this your prayer. Make this your prayer, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for your resurrection life. I ask you to come. I ask you to enter in in a fresh way, Lord. Thank you. We keep nothing from you. The places that are unsurrendered, the places we have kept in the tomb, Lord, call them out. Call them out into resurrection. Lord, all the things that we buried, bring them to life again. Lord, we have hope. We have great hope in you. Lord, for resurrected relationships, for resurrected marriages, for resurrected faith. Lord, we want to live in the unfolding reality of your resurrection. We praise you and thank you for what you have done, for bringing new freshness to our life with you.
Jesus' name, amen. Still praying. There are some of you who hear this talk of life, this talk of the resurrected life in Jesus, and hear of the talk of spiritual deadness, separation from Him. And in your heart, God has been tugging and He's saying, you're living in the tomb. Burdened down with all the things I want to set you free from. Condemning yourself for all the things I want to forgive you for. I'm calling you to life. I died for you. Don't be afraid to come to me. I'm not interested in punishing you. I punished myself on the cross so that I could set you free. I rose again so that I could give you this new life, this eternal life, this reality of the resurrection in your life right now and for all eternity. And you want that, but you know, you know in your heart you're not experiencing it. You haven't received Him as Lord and Savior. You say, your heart would say, yes, I want that. I want that, Lord Jesus. I'll come. Because He stands here in reality with His outstretched hands. Resurrection is life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I want to raise you up. I want to bring life into you. I want to forgive you. I want to set you free. If you would say that, if you would enter into a relationship personally with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to raise your hand. Yes, I hear the call of God. I would say, I want that new life. I want to be set free. I want the resurrection life rather than the spiritual deadness. I want to be free. I want to be free. If that's you, I ask you to pray this in your heart as I pray it aloud. Make this, make this your Lord Jesus, thank you for Easter. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you dying for me. Thank you again for rising for me and giving me the free gift of eternal life I receive it now. I want your resurrection life in me. I want it to change my attitude, change my heart. Lord, open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart. I want to go through this life serving you as my Lord and my Savior and following you in the course of life for all eternity. I receive you. I repent of my Thank you. Thank you for Easter in my life. Right here. Right now. Forever. Amen. Thank God for what He's done. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to praise His name. If you need prayer, this altar is open for you. There are people around you who will pray with you. If you want to invite.